This is Michael Moy, creator of Married with Children, and you are listening to the Married with Children podcast. We're both virile men in the prime of our lives, except he's not saddled with a lazy wife, worthless kids, a prostate like a melon, and worst of all, I sell women's shoes. <laughs> shoes? You sell shoes? Yeah, right next to an aerobic studio. Did you hear that, Ramon? He sells shoes. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Merrywood Children Podcast. My name's Tyler, and let me just say, if I have seen far, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. Einstein, Magellan, and Al Bundy. Steven, Steven, can you hear me? Oh, 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 I'm sorry, Tyler. I was watching uh, uh, Oprah. She has a special on podcasters who don't listen to their to their partners. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, guys, oh, I'm sorry, Stephen, I need to get some aloe vera for that burn. Just <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. That's just my opening line. Okay. Now, I really got to talk about this, Tyler. Uh, I know you, you said you haven't listened to the whole thing, but I was just floored. First, just by getting the Michael Boyer interview. And, you know, that was our, I guess you could say our actual season premiere for season 10. And it, I walked away feeling like this is a real down to earth, humble, smart guy who knows what he wanted to do. Yeah. What, what did you think? It, uh, like, I just want to say, yeah, big round of applause to the entire podcasting community for getting this far. This is, I think, it's a beautiful, like, perfect connection between us the new hosts and the original host because they had amanda beers's interview and now we i'm not gonna say we one-upped them we if we're we see farther we stand on the shoulders of giants but we got the creator <laughs> and it's just this makes this is just a big wonderful glorious day for the podcast yeah it was it was great to hear alex back in the uh behind the mic again. so right uh, 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 Annabelle was, of course, you love Annabelle. It's just that when you hear our the creator just coming back and doing this wonderful interview with a seems like a very wonderful guy. Yeah, and Stephen, I have to ask: Did you, when you started listening to it, did it not feel like the before we were ever hosts or had any interaction except listening to the podcast? It felt like just audience members again. I can't do that with any of our others. I just I'm always like laughing and having inside thoughts in my head this one i was just like "Ooh, what's going to come next <laughs> like i will admit ever since i became started to get into this podcasting when i listen to stuff especially with, with the stuff you and i do i'm listening more as a critique mostly on myself because i want to think okay i need to curb doing this particular habit or doing that particular habit 
I think you can understand what I mean by it's like that. Seeing, it's like seeing your uh, video in class that you made on repeat in different classes, and you're just like, I'm proud, but man, ooh, it's making my heart beat. <laughs> and, and it's easier for me to sit back and listen and just enjoy it when another team is on, like uh, Chris and Luigi, or if it's uh, Team Australia or something like that. But with me, it's more critical. I don't know if Alex is like that. Well, I mean, like no even way. when we listen to others that aren't just you and me, we know each other fairly well. That I and a lot of times there's inside jokes that we have that I know they're referencing. There's this being in the know. This interview, unless it was Annabelle, Chris, or Alex, or probably Luigi, the rest of us kind of just, I guess that's just you and me, kind of just like and Matt, just kind of like sit back and. I didn't know what was going to come next. I didn't know what Mike was going to say at all. I had no idea what any, like what could have what could have come out of this. And this was amazing. Yes, and going yeah, talking about that interview, I just cannot get over how, what a nice guy he was. He sounded like somebody you would a guest star you would hear in Married with Children that Al would respect, like an Iron Hayes kind of character in my mind. That's immediately what I thought when I heard his voice. Yeah, and I don't know if you heard the part when he talked about some of the things, that, some of the plots of Married with Children that he related in real life. And he talked about how he heard a song on the radio and he couldn't remember the title, and it was like number one of 40 in a row or something like that. And he was like, ah, I got to hear that. Mm-hmm. I or know what that song is. Oh, yeah. I And oh, you're right. I haven't listened to the whole thing yet. I'm, I still want to make it like a point to just marinate in the uh, whole experience. But what, what I really loved was his intro where he gave his, like, the history of his time as a staff writer in Hollywood. It it, it just, I could see the growth and where he's coming from. And it's making me really want to go back and listen and watch his other stuff and see the seeds of Mary with Children. And no, that's just not me reading into it. It's for real. Well, you talk about it, it's your move. I remember watching this show when I was like, yeah, I saw it when I was like 16 or 17. And I thought it was, I enjoyed it. And the thing is, you have David Garrison in there. And I forgot he was in it until I came across it recently on YouTube. You know, the big thing, though, is, and I don't know if you remember this message I sent out to the whole crew when they asked him, was seven, uh, you know, executive producer's idea or network network idea? When he said it was a network, I'm like screaming, yes, I knew it. I knew it. It had to be a network decision to put him on. Uh, I'm, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I, I was hoping it wasn't. I was hoping they were trying to do something creative and it just blew up in their faces. But now I see it's just them making the best out of a bad situation yeah but uh it's your move though uh it's free on crackle right now and if you have a plex account you can watch that straight uh, easily um i'm looking at the cast and i can't believe that disgusting looking kid on the cover is uh is uh jason bateman um someone i really really like and respect and i love and once i saw that i was like wow he was a swarmy looking kid ugh Yeah, he played a schmucky kid, and uh, Moyer must have worked with him on Silver Spoons, too, because Bateman was, uh, played a kid named Derek on Silver Spoons, who was kind of like a, that smarmy little asshole. And the Hogan family and House on the Prairie, so he was like knee-deep in just television. I have to imagine back then it was just like, once, you're, once you've done more than one show, writers and producers and casters like are already like looking at all these uh, familiars, so... 
Yeah, and I just want to give out one more big shout to Chris Gunther. Wow. Who put this in motion. And I never would have thought we could have gotten an interview with the creator of Married with Children. I mean. It's amazing. It was the right way to go. Like, we're all trying and hoping and blasting David Faustino's Twitter page at least once, well, I am, at least once a week. Just nicely, hey, guess what? Check this podcast. I think you'll like it. And if one day he likes it, then I'll ask him. But getting the getting the the people on it is such a such a feat. But I never even thought to go the way Chris did and go for the producing and creation side, which is so much better, actually. Yeah, and he's reached out to a couple of others. We're going to have another interview a little bit later this season with Lisa McCarty, mm. who plays one of Kelly's girlfriends. I'm so excited. In for that fact. One. And then on top of that, you know, she was in uh, some episodes. You and I are going to review Spring Break Part One and Two. Mm-hmm. So, looking very, looking very good, <laughs> as far as I remember. It was big for our. It was big for the podcast. It was big for Alex. It was big for all of us. And Michael Moye, again, you are just a great guy. You seem like that humble, down to earth person that you could talk to and just have fun. Absolutely. And um, you'll probably, yeah, definitely echoing everything you just said, Stephen. And guys, listen to this. If you haven't already heard before or from somebody else, please uh, be vocal on the page. Uh, hit us up on Twitter on any way you want to or on Facebook where the best place is. Like, we want to know what you guys thought. Like, where's some questions you'd like to hear? He's been, he's already said he's open to answering more questions when the time is right. But, like, we, we as podcasters want to know, like, it's all about the community. I want to know what the rest of you guys are thinking out there. Yes, we do want to see that. And Michael Moye says he will read the uh, comments on the YouTube. So that's probably the best way to, to listen to it if you want to. I know we've gotten more hits on that one, and we've got more downloads than any other episode. <laughs> that amazes me. I'm still... Good Good job on plugging that, Stephen. I completely forgot about it. I don't associate YouTube with podcasts, but apparently a lot of people do. I was very surprised by the amount of views we got. Yeah, it was awesome, and we have you guys to thank for it, the listeners. And keep listening in for all these wonderful things we're going to have. Absolutely. But, yeah... Now it's time to get to the episode. We are here to re- review A Shoe Room with a, a View. It aired on September 24th, 1995. Written by Stacy Lip, Michael Moyer, and Richard German. Directed by Jerry Cohen. And this one has a lot of guest stars. Harold Sylvester as Griff. E.E. E. Bell as Bob Rooney. Tom McClyster as Ike. Janet Carroll as Gary. Marco Sanchez as Romeo. Donica Sheridan as Matilda. Jennifer Eccles as Cynthia, Sonia Eddy as Arlene, Jamie Music as Rebecca, Melanie Paul as Melissa, Marcy Brickhouse as Taylor, Shanna Wallace Chantel, and a partridge in a pear tree. Al Bundy's life has been nothing but misery, but tonight... You certainly are. All of his dreams will finally come true. We want to work out next to the shoe guy. Married with children. Once you've tried shoe, you never go back. At a special time, coming up next. (laughs) God. Oh, man. Oh, Stephen, I'm so happy we're we're doing this episode. Um, uh, Well, you know what? First off, uh, 
Welcome, audience members, to season 10, uh, the first episode with uh, your favorite, uh, one of your, fa- two of your favorite podcasters, Stephen and Tyler. Uh, we made it, Stephen. We're into season 10. Oof. We're the favorites? Right? I, I mean, we're we're two of the favorites. Oh, okay. I'm more favorite. But, <laughs> but yeah, season 10, though, I remember season 11 very well. Season 10 just kind of blew out of my brain. I... I Every episode I've been watching of season ten, I've completely forgotten what how they go. So it's almost like it's a first watch for me. You know, for something for me in regards to uh, season ten is that uh, you know I've been watching some episodes already. It's not as bad as I kind of remembered it was, or as I thought it was. I mean, there are some okay ones, but um, you know, I think it's better than what I actually remembered. And anyway, that's just my opinion. Um, so like I said, we are on episode two, a room, a room with the uh, view, if I can ever say it right. I screw it up all the time. (laughs) And, oh, and by the way, when we're listing guest stars, I want to tell Luigi something. I keep reminding him, Buck, the dog is not a guest star. He is the star of the greatest TV show of all time. Buck, king of all dogs, better known as humans as married with children. (laughs) <laughs> Why don't you tell us about the title uh, uh room with a View? Yes, I will. Okay, a room with a View. A complicated title to say because it is a reference to the movie A Room with a View. A 1985 British romance film directed by James Ivory with a screenplay written by Ruth Prower Javala I hope I pronounced that correctly. Produced by Ismail Merchant of E.M. Forster's novel of the same name uh, from 1908. And it stars Helen Bonham Carter as Lucy and Julian Sands as George and features Maggie Smith or Professor McGonagall to those Harry Potter fans. Uh, Denilome Elliott, Daniel Day-Lewis and Judy Dench and Simon Cowell. Wow, as supporting roles. You know what? I've never seen this movie. I know about it, but now I need to see it. This is a star-studded film. Uh, The film closely follows the novel by use of chapter titles to distinguish thematic segments. It's uh, set in England and Italy, and it's about a young woman named Lucy Honeychurch in the restrictive and repressed culture of Edwardian England and her developing love for a free-spirited young man, George Emerson. Hmm. I worked at, I think I mentioned I worked in a movie movie theater when I was in high school here in Tulsa. It was called the Annex 7. I do remember that movie. We did have it. And, and you know, from like 19, late, early, late 1983 to about 19, late 1986, when I was working there, I, I can safely say that I watched a lot of those movies but it was like in bits and pieces and like the Goonies. Not until recently did I sit down and entirely watch the Goonies from beginning to end. Because when you work in a movie theater, you take a break here and there and you go in and watch a movie. You see about 15 minutes of it and then go out. And maybe later that day you get another break, you go in, watch another 15 minutes of it. So, and it's sporadic. So it, it, it was just a really weird time. Wow. I got to ask though, uh, a little tiny tangent here. Uh, what did you think of the Goonies? Oh, I loved it. 
I loved it. I just really, yeah. Oh, I, 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 I would have pegged you as not liking the Goonies for some reason. Oh well, no, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, really well done. I think it's gained more of a cult following and a lot more love. Uh, I thought it was a good movie. I thought Richard Donner, you know, who recently passed away, did a great job in direct. Here's the thing: the reason, uh, uh, Stephen, I want to mention to you the reason why I thought you didn't like it is because you and me seem to have a very similar taste in humor. Um, I don't like the Goonies. Never have. Uh, I don't hate it, but it's just I have more fond memories of watching it with people who liked it than I've never actually sat down. I I sat down once and watched it by myself fairly recently when I was doing like movie reviews, and I found it very hard to like sit through. So they. I kind of like that, that you like it. So cool for you, man. To each their own, and I just thought it was a fun time. But we need to get back to Married with Children. Mm -hmm. We start out, actually, not with Al and No Man, which seems to be the main focus, but Bud walks in after a hard day at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Mom, turn off Oprah for a second. I need to talk to you. Mom girlfriend in the house <laughs> you're not oprah mom i had a horrible day i could really use some motherly advice right now shut up bud <laughs> oprah is doing a show on mothers who don't pay attention to their sons next a word from earth pads the only feminine hygiene product recycled from yesterday's garbage <laughs> Now can we talk, Mom? Oh, okay. But make it quick. When Oprah comes back on, I want to be rested. Look, I was working at the Department of Vehicle Services today, and I noticed this long line for new licenses. So when I open up a second window, my supervisor comes up to me and says, Son, I see you're a real go-getter. We hate that here. You're fired. <laughs> now I need your help getting a new job. Oh, look. Stouffer's has a new apple brown Betty. Well, I guess I can't expect you to pay any attention to me since I don't have an antenna coming out of my ass. Is that where he's working? Because, quite frankly, every time Bud shows... When Bud shows up later, and we'll get to it, what he's wearing, I had completely forgotten what the heck Bud was doing in this episode and what his beef was. Well, the thing is, he came back from work and he got fired. He, he uh, tried to create something there, and, and his boss said, look, you're showing initiative. We can't have that. You're fired. And I think that's uh, almost like uh, this idea that government, if you work for a government agency, which the DMV is uh, an agency of the government in Illinois, then it's, you know, it's usually for people who don't have any motivation or any skills that they're just there and some a part of the machine apparatus and going through the motions. So he shows some motivation and some ingenuity. No, we can't have that. In all honesty, I kind of see that working in public schools sometimes, and it's really frightening. <laughs> mm. I mean, uh, you and you could probably see that. I personally see that. I, I work for a franchise, but uh, we deal, I'm kind of higher up in the franchise, so I deal with corporate crap too. And I think corporations and government 
uh, facilities like schools and DMV and stuff, they're kind of having a similar problem. Like anytime you show an, they like initiative, but if it dares cost any money, uh oh. Or if it upsets the standard routine that's been established for so long. And I, I think that's a big problem in schools now because you come up with an idea. I've come up with all these ideas I've seen either just tossed aside or saying, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll get back to you on that. No, no one ever gets back to me. There's no creative freedom in today's like businesses and jobs and stuff. Not to go on a rant here, but it's, it is something I'm seeing from people from different fields. And it's there's no creative outlet or receptability to those creative outlets. You know, I think there are probably some exceptions. I've heard about new businesses trying new different things and and trying to think outside the box. But I think once a entity, say it's a corporation or a government institution, once they get their standards set, it's hard to break away from that because it up, just upsets the routine and it upsets the um, MO of that uh, entity. Mm-hmm. Very few. Can, can I say one thing though? Before I'm so sorry, Stephen. I do. I do want to say something because it does like go with what I'm going to have to say at the end of the episode. Um, Bud's entrance is like the first thing that I noticed that is going to. But it's the one big, big, big problem I have with this episode, and it's the highly underuse of the rest of the family members and but it's not underused it's not that they're being underused in a lazy way they're actually being used underused in a way that i want to see explored more i would love to see more about bud's employment problems i'd love to see more about kelly and we'll talk about it later but what she's going through and when they come back it just seems out of nowhere and I don't know, maybe they didn't realize how much fun Al's journey was going to be. Or maybe the actors of, you know, David Faustino and Christina Applegate weren't available. But it it bugged me. It was it, it kind of just jarred me out of my fun with Al when Kelly comes back and when Bud shows up later, which is really funny. But then he goes away and he never comes back. And it eh. So I just wanted to put that out there right now. Okay. Anyway, Bud says, Mom, turn off Oprah for a second. He wants to talk to you because, of course, he got fired. And I'm thinking about this. He tells her, I I need your help in getting a new job. Really think about that one. Yeah, what? I thought thought about that. I thought about it when I saw it. Like, the what? Since when? Why would you go to her? Yeah, I mean, if she's if there's anyone supported work, it's her. And of course, she's wrapped up in Oprah, and she doesn't hear him because you know she's watching this episode. Girlfriend in the house. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing. Hope my finger snap got on there. (laughs) Anyhow, so when he's talking to her, she's so enraptured with Oprah, but it's about mothers who don't pay attention to their sons. Uh, you know, mm. sometimes the, the humor is really can be telegraphed. That one was pretty good. I really liked that one. Mothers who don't pay attention to their sons. Because she exactly. is one who does that. There, there it, and there it is again. And great use of character propped upness and 
propped upness, great use of character development, and um, and showing what they've got in a script, but not following through with it. It's the it, it's a big it's a big problem with this episode. But that's just my personal gripe. But you're right. It <laughs> I'm just like wait, wait, what's going on? <laughs> the next thing we have is Al walking in. Peg, I need to talk to you. Hey! Girlfriend! In the house! Like you'd be anywhere else. It's a remote control override, Peg. They're on sale at the real man's shop. Well, while you were there, why didn't you pick up a real man? Don't push it, Peg. It also overrides all your other handheld electronic devices. Even Otis? Especially Otis. Peg won't listen to him. And what does he have to do? Girlfriend in the house, like you'd be any. <laughs> and I love Al's line, like you'd be anywhere else. <laughs> oh, man. Ed O'Neill saying that was just, it tickled me good. <laughs> and then he turns off Oprah or mutes her or something like that. And because he has a remote control override, he got it the real man shop. <laughs> oh, and I thought this was going to be the entire episode when I saw that remote. <laughs> that would have been a good idea. I like that idea. I wish I had a remote to, to, to mute my uh, students' mouths sometimes. <laughs> oh my God, yes. And the real man store? How do we not go there? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that'd be a fun. Pl- I think there is a real man store. It's called the Bass Pro Shop. If you've ever been to one of those, those are fun places to look around. I love it. Also, when um, Peggy says, what'd you do? What is that thing? And he says, it's a remote control override. And it overrides all of her other handheld devices. Even Otis? <laughs> Especially Otis. <laughs> I mean, oh. That cracked me up. And, <laughs> yeah, there was a previous reference to that. Yeah, Her vibrator had that name. So that was a, oh really yeah, uh huh or vibrator. It was referred to that pre- in a previous episode. I forget which one. You know, there was a note in here on our research, and someone to put in about Ele- Otis elevators. And they- okay, I was wondering about that. That's a weird <laughs> note. I wanted to research that myself, but I like it. So let's just read it, Stephen. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, in our notes, Mary Children listeners, <clears throat> it goes. Her vibrator, question mark. Yep. And we got a link. It's www.otis.com slash en slash us slash home. Otis Elevators. Not sure if intentional link with naming of said vibrator. Things going up and down. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. You know, in all oh. honesty, it's kind of weird that, you know, Peg is so wrapped up in Oprah. I mean, this is an ongoing theme. And in regard, in, now we have the Oprah Women's Network. It's almost like Peggy may have brought that into fruition or Mary with Children did. So Oprah should probably be thanking Mary with Children for Peggy Bundy's oh. work. I totally forgot she got her own dang network. Wow. Yeah, you're right. You know what? You're right. All these jokes are, uh, they have they have reasons to be here. They were worth it. <laughs> Anyhow, so then Al tells, um, tells Peg that uh, Gary's is having a contest. The store next to me at the mall has gone out of business, and Gary wants to rent the empty space. Al, is this going to take long? You know how I hate it when the TV set cools. <laughs> Now you know how I feel during sex. <laughs> anyway, Peg, Gary's having a contest for the best new store idea. It's open to all the employees. That's, uh, me and Griff. <laughs> but if I can just think of an idea, there's a cool $10 in it for me. Al, I happen to have an incredible idea for a store. Peg, this isn't going to be really, really stupid, is it? <laughs> No, it's not. It's an all Oprah store. I call it the Grand Old Oprah. You know, we'll sell Oprah t-shirts, Oprah corn holders, Oprah minivan covers, and Al, my very favorite, Oprah soap on a ropra. Gina, I thought it was going to be stupid. <laughs> or Gary, she was having a big contest for the best news store idea because they've got this extra space over and it's open to all the employees and it can't be just an idea. And on top of that, Al is looking forward to a cool $10 in this. <laughs> and he has... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Listeners, when you write a screenplay, even for a television show or a movie, there's a thing called stakes. And when the, you need stakes to make things work, his stakes are 10 bucks. It shows how low Al hits. Like, when you and I reviewed, ship happens too, and Al comes home. <laughs> Then, Alvin Bundy, my late husband's identical twin. How nice of you to drop by on such a sad occasion. How much, Peg? Enough to make it worth your while to walk out that door and never come back. Five dollars? You know, he always aims for that low bit when he could go up higher. He, he's worth twice as much as his life is. And, and, oh, oh! It works so well, and this is it, folks. This is why *Mirror with Children* works. Any other show would not have been able to make that low stakes thing funny, but it did. You're right. That's the only like thing it uh, bringing this stuff in is a ten dollars. <laughs> and then I love it because uh, uh, Peg has an idea. Al worries it's stupid, but she calls it an all-Oprah store called the Grand Old Oprah. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, I got a I got the info for that, Steven, because I'm a big fan of what this is a pun of. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Okay, this is a the Grand Old Opera is a pun on the Grand Old Opry. The Grand Old Opry was a is so sorry, not was, is a weekly American country music stage concert in Nashville, Tennessee. Founded on, get this folks, November 28th, 1925 by George D. Hay as a one-hour radio quote-unquote barn dance on the WSM. Currently, and I say currently because it's still going, owned and operated by Opry Entertainment, a division of Rhyme Hospitality Properties Incorporated. It is the longest-running radio broadcast in U.S. history. Dedicated to honoring country music and its history, the Opry showcases a mix of famous singers, contemporary chart-toppers, performers and uh, performing country, bluegrass, Americana, folk, and gospel music, as well as comedic performances and skits. It attracted hundreds of thousands of visitors from around the world and millions of radio and internet listeners. Basically, it is like the Muppet Show, all country, and on radio. It is awesome. If you haven't listened to it, look it up. Go online. All of them are like recorded and uh, saved to their website. You can listen to them. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah, the grand old Oprah and... I love Peg's ideas for this, where you can have Oprah t-shirts, Oprah corn holders, Oprah minivan covers, and her favorite, Oprah soap on a ropra. Say that again, Stephen. Oprah soap on a ropra. <laughs> well done, you did it twice. Yeah, Oprah soap on a ropra. Mm. Okay, great. All right. Okay, so since Peg only appears one more time to bring up and they come back to this Oprah thing, I think we should just go right into it, Stephen. Peg comes, follows through with this idea and actually creates a very time intensive project where she builds a model of her idea and her model <laughs> is the creepiest lawsuit inducingest uh, thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh man, and you know it kind of reminded me. I've seen this on on our Facebook page, the uh, Mary Witch on Facebook page, where somebody found these. I found them too, and I shared them. It's like these little urns that are in the shape of the head of the person who died, and you put their ashes in oh. there. You know, because the joke yeah. is Aunt Tooney could have gotten that. You know, from season four, episode one. I'm thinking, man, that would just freak me out in the same way. I don't want to be looking at a at the head of my mom, you know, knowing their ashes oh, inside. Oh God! I mean, that would be awful. I mean, she's still around, but it's kind of like I think you you do that for someone you for a family member you hated, like <laughs> so you can stare at it and yell it and like be, look at it in like hatred. You don't do that to someone you care about because that's horrifying. Yeah. It's kind of like when George Costanza had that little doll that looked like his mother and he could hear it talking at him. Oh, I want to believe Jason Alexander like took that home after this set because that is awesome. But what's 
is awesome, but also scary, is that Oprah head that Peg walks into. That someone had to make this, Steven. It's got to exist somewhere, right? Pro- like- must somewhere. <laughs> oh, man. Now it's time for <laughs> Kelly to come in. Well, back from aerobics class. Although, you know, I didn't really feel the burn until the bus ride home. Almost every man on the bus offered me his seat, although nobody was willing to stand up to let me have it. (laughs) Oh, and then this delightful turban-clad chap, we'll just call him Man of a Thousand Boils, (laughs) asked me if I wanted to rub his magic lamp and see a genie come out. (laughs) There was no genie. Ow! Yeah, and she's looking good, as usual. And she was back from aerobics class. And apparently she was harassed on the way home, sitting on the bus, on the bus ride home. Almost every man on the bus offered me his seat, although no one was willing to stand up to let me have it. Oh, and, and you know what? I got to bring this up because I, all right, so I was watching this. Uh, again to, as a refresher right before we started recording and my roommate had his sister over and they're just doing their own thing on like on the laptop and whatnot and um, I, I, I paused it I looked over I was like Marie I got something funny for you to hear my roommate's tired of hearing me make Mary with children jokes so I badgered his sister I was like this is so cringy but Kelly on the show that I'm watching, just getting back from aerobics, is talking about all these men like being inappropriate on the bus. I tell her, and a turban clad gentleman, we'll call him a man with a thousand boils, asks if I want to see, <laughs> rub the lamp and see the genie. Guess what? There was no genie. Oh, her face was priceless oh well i thought what i thought was even more hilarious was al's look on his face he's kind of burying his <laughs> realizing my daughter does not get it my daughter is dumb. his little pumpkin because <laughs> what's that implying Stephen? <laughs> the way she said there was no genie <laughs> meaning she fell for it. Yeah, she exactly. And that's why I think Al is, at, is, is face palming now because it's like, oh, my God, how is she going to get through life? I got to make Bud, like, walk next to her for the rest of her life. Like, it's... God, I wish that there was an aerobic studio near here. Humpkin, would you be quiet? I'm trying to think of an idea for a business near here. All of my beautiful friends wish that there was just a good gym in the area. Something in the area that caters to beautiful women. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. There is no good place for an aerobic studio. Let's face it. I'm not going to be able to think of an idea for a business. <laughs> this is exactly the exact same thing that happened in Pump Fiction. Remember, Kelly has is leaning on the camera and wondering where can I get a camera to film uh, a video. And Al at the same time is thinking about an idea he needs to 
make a video to get into shoe news. And Peggy is doing the same thing in this episode that she did in the shroom with the view. Her head keeps going back and forth, back and forth, wondering, man, they really are idiots. And this time, Lucky is the one to really verbalize it in his own little way. Nobody around here has been eating lead paint chips. <laughs> uh, she looks at Al and goes, me and him, and then turns back to Kelly, made that. Ugh. <laughs> so now, Al has the idea. Let's have an aerobic studio. Then we get to go to the shoe store. Well, you should have been here two hours ago. Why? What happened? We opened. <laughs> well, uh, you were wasting your time opening. I came up with a rip-snorting idea for Gary's new store contest. What would be better, right next door, than an aerobic studio? A topless aerobic studio? <laughs> Don't be a pig, Griff. This is serious. We can finally get rid of this facade of working and sit around all day looking at beautiful girls in spandex doing lunges with a honk honk here and a honk honk there. Honk there, honk there, honk there. Uh, when Al walks in, Griff goes, Al, you should have been here two hours ago. Oh, really? was that? We opened. That, as somebody who's dealing with employees that uh, show up late often and I can't fire them because we're having trouble hiring new people, that got me hard right there. <laughs> that was very familiar to me right now. <laughs> and I can understand. Think I have to deal with students all the time. A lot of them think they don't have to show up for first and second period. They can just get up when they want to get up in there. Oh, and, uh, you know, in the previous, and, and that kind of leads to the previous segment, actually, when it ends with Buck's line saying, no one around here has been eating lead paint chips, you know, referring to Al and Kelly going back and forth. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what are these kids doing, eating lead paint or something? And I kid you not. I, oh. This this weekend, I got an email from a student. He He was missing for a few days. I don't know if he was <laughs> attracted to COVID or something like that. He emails me. Uh, literary terms quiz two. Me need password. <laughs> that was his email. I'm thinking to myself, one, you don't know how to write an email. Two, you don't know how to do an introduction. <laughs> Three, that's not proper English. I mean, it sounds like caveman. Me need password. <laughs> I am going to email every professor, every boss now, with any request. I'm just going to be like, uh, hey, boss, me need money or me need key. Me need schedule. Oh, thank you, Stephen. Oh, and thank you to that student of yours. <laughs> I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I haven't answered it. I I'm thinking to myself, I am not answering that, mostly because it's just so rude. Oh, you need to answer it answer it back and but go like no answer me need better excuse <laughs> <laughs> oh that'll fuck him up like he won't expect that shit and that'll fuck him up you well, can cut all those like i gotta those, be those swear words. i try and be professional and quite often i like to you know think about it before i do type uh, type a message back anyhow so now we're into the and, and you mentioned people showing up late yeah that's so that's my gripe too 
And can I say right now, like, I don't think Mary with Children has the intent to do this, but I, I think somebody who is writing, and again, whoever was, like, the main person who, like, verified every word in this episode should get an Emmy automatically because this is really clever writing. The way Al and Griff just sit back and flat out say, man, you know what? We just sit here all day and we get paid. Who gives a crap? Like that kind of thing. That's some good commentary on like a lot of serving um, in uh, serving jobs. And I don't want, I'm not, I'm not like calling out the people who are in those jobs. You got to make a living. I don't care. You're getting paid to just stand around and like move stuff around here and there and not really working, but getting a good paycheck. Good for you. You found a lucky job and it's going to eat eat at you and your soul in a different way than my job does. But that's a good qual like that's it's just a good call to these like mall jobs where yeah, you have customers here and there, but a lot of times you're just standing around. <laughs> and that's going to come back to something else here in just a short in just a minute in a short minute here mm-hmm. because you know they talk about you know open up this uh, aerobic studio Gary does not want to do anything that Al suggests uh, come on Al you know Gary won't go for that you know whenever you make a suggestion she does exactly the opposite I hear you I hear you so when I bring this up to her I got to be very clever Bundy What's your big idea for the new store? I'm in a hurry and I'm bloating like a bandit. Now, I'm only going to say this once. Anything but an aerobics studio. You called me down here to suggest anything but an aerobics studio? Indeed he do. What do you say? I'd say you're fired if I weren't sure you'd make more on unemployment. Uh, look, Gary, I, I, I have an idea, and I think it's exactly what you're looking for. Hmm. Here it is. Anything but Al's idea. <laughs> so you're saying an aerobics studio? Indeed you do. I love it. Congratulations, you won the prize. Here's $10. Hey, don't I get in? Yeah. Here's $5. Go get me some earth pads. <laughs> Here's Gary. Her response is, I would say you're fired if I wasn't sure you'd make more on unemployment. Ooh. That hit a little too close to home these days. <laughs> Actually, I do think it is. You know, hold it too long. That is a disincentive to work. Yeah. I mean, he ain't, she ain't right. Like, I mean, she ain't, <clears throat> she ain't wrong. So, eh. Who knows what the unemployment was like in Chicago in early 90s? It might have been crap who knows well i don't know i don't know if the, the clinton had uh clinton and the republicans had passed their welfare reform act i don't know if unemployment falls under welfare reform but i mean steven I, i'm so sorry you, you you'll appreciate this steven i mean if i mean as long as the welfare is like more than like what five cents an hour i mean al's making bank then yeah it probably is because and like she said <laughs> she doesn't know if it's going to pay more, uh, you know, and who knows? It probably does considering how much he works and how little he earns. Yes. <laughs> the funny thing is Gary kind of likes the idea. She says, so you're saying an aerobic studio and she loves it. So 
No. Oh, hey, wait, Steven. No, actually, it's a weirder like wording because I this was one of the few times I had to rewind it. Al, uh, Griff goes over and goes, my idea is anything but Al's idea. So you're saying an aerobic studio. Yes. I love it. Okay, I was like, but wait, Al wanted an aerobic. And then who does she give the $10 to? I mean, Griff, because yeah. he got the, because Al originally said, my idea is anything but a shoe store. Griff said, you should choose anything but Al's idea. Anything but Al's idea. All right. Al wanted anything but a shoe store, so it's a shoe store. I love it. Anything but an aerobic <laughs> studio. You keep you got that backwards. And then but then Al gets five dollars to go get her earth pads. <laughs> <laughs> now we go back to the shoe store. Oh nice, nice. <laughs> gentlemen. I'd like to propose a toast. <laughs> In the course of human history, there have been four great inventions. The bikini. Yes. The thong bikini. <laughs> the really itchy thong bikini. <laughs> and Al's idea to put an aerobic studio next to the shoe store. If I have seen far, it's because I have stood on the shoulders of giants. Einstein, Magellan, Heineken. It is my goal to uplift the human spirit. And Jefferson is like the master of ceremonies. Gentlemen, this whole thing is amazing. in the course of human history, there have been four great inventions. The bikini, yes. The thong bikini, yes, and the really itchy thong bikini. Uh, well, before we go any further, we got to talk about this now. And that is, well, the bikini. It goes back to May 1946. A fashion designer named Jacques Ham released a two-piece swimsuit design that he named the Atome. Like the swimsuits of the era, it covered much of the wearer's navel and failed to attract much attention. But then a clothing designer named Louis Riard, who was born in 1897, introduced his new smaller design in July. He named the swimsuit after the bikini atoll. He got the idea when he was at a French beach when he saw the women rolling up the lower part of the top and that lower part went down to their panties. They would roll up that part to get a suntan on their stomach. So he thought, why not create one to, sh to bear the midriff so they can get that tan uh, No runway model would wear this to uh, advertise it. So he hired a new dancer from the Casino de Paris to model it at a review of a swimsuit fashion. But it was so controversial and, re and revealing in its design, it was actually accepted very slowly by the public. And considering this was in France, you know, that tells you something because they're very... They're a lot more libertine than the Americans are. The swimsuit game increased exposure and acceptance as film stars like Bridget Bardot, Raquel Welch, who I love Raquel Welch, Ursula Sanders wore them and were photographed on public beaches and seen in film. Many countries, the design was banned from beaches and only other public places, so it really didn't catch on that big at first. Riard owned a bikini shop from that day until about 1980 and he retired. He died on September 17, 1984, and he received lots of thank you letters from people, mostly men. 
<laughs> yeah, Stephen, I love this podcast so much. When I learned stuff, I did not know any of that. I don't read the notes until we start recording because I like to be surprised unless I'm hosting. And, oh, you know what, Stephen? I want live on the air to hear your reaction. I'm sending you over Skype a picture of the Atom, Jacques Harem's uh, two-piece design. Oh, yeah, I've seen that design. Uh-huh. He's just like, it's sexy, but we must remove most of it. Almost all. No, that's a German accent. This guy was French, you know. <laughs> oh, whatever. You, okay, Europe, like, oh, this is uh, the bikini. We must remove all of it. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I got to do the ha, ha, ha to get it started. Oh, man. And do, don't Google search a tome early bikini because you're going to get pictures of this guy, like, doing the filming. He's a creep. He's a He's a creepy-looking dude. <laughs> uh i thought it was interesting also you mentioned thong bikinis i remember those became popular at the end of the 80s and through the 90s and oh the high waisted ones. yeah it like, was incredible yeah. i remember one time going to a beach in um where was it? i think it was in uh, i think it was near miami in the 90s and i cannot believe all the hot women in thong bikinis down there of course i also saw a lot of topless women too just wearing the thong and it was just unbelievable, oh. you know, the beauty. Uh, I've heard this. <laughs> now, here's the thing, though. There are some that you don't want to look at. <laughs> I mean, they, it, it was just um, not pleasant to look at. Some were not pleasant. I mean, that's the that's the really itchy thong bikini, Steve. And, of course, it's not pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I found out something, too, doing my own research. Riard also invented the string bikini. Of course he did. Yeah. Of course he did. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of young boys and men who grew up in the in the in in the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties probably should hail this man as one of the other great inventors of the time. Willis or one of the another great inventor, Willis Carrier. Willis Carrier invented air conditioning. Thank God he invented it. <laughs> yes, but, thank God he invented it. But however, if any listeners out there want to do their own Mary with Children research and put it up on the Facebook page, who created the ba banana hammock? Was it this dude? I don't know. You find out, because we ain't going to do it. <laughs> that is true. And we're going to come back to swimsuits a little bit later in this one, actually. Uh, oh, yes, we will. Why don't you tell us the great line in here that Al says right after Jefferson's introduction? Yes, Al stands up in full, beautiful tuxedo. Uh, I, you know, before I say it, I just want to say I love this. I love this so much. These idiots just dressing up in tuxedos and everything. And Jefferson there for no reason at all. He not even employed here. I mean, he's part of no ma'am. I get it, but like, but yeah, he's acting like he's hosting though. Should just shouldn't it just be Griff and Al because they actually work there? I don't know. This is so. Well, weird. by the same token, then what are what are Bob Rooney and Ike doing there? They don't work there either. I mean, but they're part of No Ma'am. I would understand No Ma'am members being there dressed up nicely, but the ones dressed up in like Oscar tuxes and stuff, 
Like, later on, you'll see Jefferson and Griff acting like uh, waiters and stuff. It's like they had this really dirty act. <laughs> like this dirty like theme, but no one wanted to commit to it. It I find it really fun. Yes, Al stands up like he's getting the Oscar and <laughs> goes, um Well, I'd like to say if I've seen far, it's because I stood on the shoulders of giants. Einstein, Magellan, Heineken. <laughs> <laughs> Well, obviously that's referencing Albert uh, again. Guy, by by the way, guys, I'm reading our beautiful notes here. <clears throat> Albert Einstein, theory of relativity. Ferdinand Magellan, circumnavigator of the world. Heineken, beer. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of interesting. Ferdinand Magellan gets the credit, although he died about two thirds of the way around the world. It really should go to his, uh, I forgot what his name was. I think it was Jose. Vimerigo Vespucci. No, that wasn't him. It was Fernand Magellan's, um, one of his, uh, co-captains or his first mate or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually the first. Or something like that. Yeah. The first person to really circumnavigate the world continuously and survive, his name was, um, Sir Francis Drake. He actually did it twice. Gentlemen, to your holes. was your idea, now what do we do? Well, we'll just, we'll just patch up the holes. Oh, man! <laughs> Big mama! <laughs> Baby's got backs! Hey, 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 over there. They're just doing aerobics. I, I don't know. I like this PJ, the PJ. <clears throat> I like this G-rated dirtbagness about Mary with Children. It's cute, almost, in a way. <laughs> Yeah, but what really kills me is Ike is actually enjoying ogling those heavy women in the tight le- in the tight uh, aerobics clothes. Leotards. Yeah, whatever you want to call them. But, you know, he's, he likes it, and they have to pull him away. Yeah, well, you know what? Got You like what you like. Ike, uh, Ike's got a thing, and no man wasn't able to keep it at bay for a while. So Yeah, <laughs> and then... <laughs> Like I was saying, if you can't see them, how much trouble can fat women be? Okay, girls, do the Dumbo drop. The aerobics instructor says, now, girls, it's time for the jumbo drop. And the whole <laughs> store is shaking <laughs> like an actual earthquake. Oh, man. You know what? I'm going to give the special effects team on this episode props. They do a lot of cool stuff this time. And the, and the actors? 
I, I don't know about you, Stephen, but I thought they pulled it off pretty well. This is like a B-rated horror movie level effects. Pretty good for a early Fox show. Yeah, the truly ironic thing is that comes right after the line. Now, like I was saying, if you can't see him, how much trouble can fat women be? Okay, girls, <laughs> do the Dumbo drop. <laughs> you know, and Dumbo, you got to talk about Dumbo. It's a 1941 American family film produced by Disney and released by RKO Pictures. It is. It was the fourth Disney animated film and based on the storyline written by Helen Averson and Harold, Harold Pearl. The novelty roller book. Probably, I'm gonna skip that part. The main character is Jumbo Jr. <laughs> it's an anthropomorphic elephant who is cruelly nicknamed Dumbo, as in dumb. He is ridiculed for his big ears, but the fact he is capable of flying by using ears as wings. Throughout the, most of the film, his only true friend, aside from his mother, is the mouse Timothy. A relationship parodying the stereotypical animosity between mice and elephants. I don't know if it's animosity. I think elephants just are afraid they'll crawl up their trunk or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's where they got that from. And, and then something interesting. There was a movie earlier that year called Operation Dumbo Drop. It was released in July of 1995, two months before this episode aired. And a little bit about it, Operation Dumbo Drop. I do remember this coming out. I don't think I ever saw it. I don't remember seeing anything like it. I don't think I was attracted to it. It starred, I thought it starred, yes, Danny Glover, Ray Liotta, Dennis Leary, Doug DeYoung, Corin Nemec, and Din Tien Lee, if I said that right. It was during the Vietnam War, a village that American forces are using to spy on Ho Chi Minh Trail as a sacred elephant killed by the North Vietnamese Army because they were cooperating with the Americans. The villagers need an elephant for a ceremony that will occur within the week. Captain Sam Cahill, an easygoing man who is heading home, and his hot-headed replacement, Captain T.C. Doyle, scrounge up another elephant with the help of a sneaky supply chief warrant officer, David Poole. Luckless farm boy Lawrence Farley and his short-timer Harold Ashford and transported across to South Vietnam to get it to the village on time, running into all sorts of transport problems, personality conflicts, and an NVA squad that wants the wants the Americans out of the village. And folks, and folks, this is on Disney Plus. Let your children have fun with that. Yeah, I think it was geared as a family movie. So <laughs> it looks weird. You know what? I'm I I Google searched, and by the way, guys, I Google searched Ray Liotta Sacred Elephant movie, and Google found it. Operation Dumbo Drop. And this is the funniest movie poster I have seen in a long time. And here's the interesting thing. The second song the ladies dance to is Jump For My Love by the Pointer System. <laughs> that has to remind you. And that's a callback probably to episode 5, episode 16, All Night Security Dude. Al, well, the, the shoe store is closed. And why is it closed? <laughs> You know that new aerobics center up above me? The one with the sign, quarter ton discount? <laughs> well, today they played Van Halen's Jump. <laughs> and damned if the whole herd didn't. <laughs> it was awful, Peg. The ceiling opened up, down they came, blocking out the sun. I experienced cellulite winter. <laughs> God, the humongity. Peg, I could have been killed. <laughs> 
I think you got what you deserved. Going by there every morning yelling, is that a Milky Way on the floor? Hey, 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 I was helping. They lost a lot more weight wrestling with each other for that imaginary candy than they did twisting the hammers, please don't hurt me. Yes, 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 thank you, Steven. I knew that song was on a different episode in the mall, but I couldn't remember what it was, and I'm so mad because All Night Security, dude, is... It's probably... I've been thinking about it lately, and I'm pretty sure that that's my favorite episode of Married with Children, is All Night Security, dude. Yeah, it's in my top ten. I I still love it. I still belly laugh every time I watch that final confrontation. Well, I have belly laugh all the way through, but that final confrontation between him and Spare Tire Dixon, played by Bubba Smith, is iconic. It's when he drops to his knees. When he says, Al Bundy security dude when he drops to his knees while the audience is applauding him and goes is this is this what you did to me (laughs) i just i i think about that every time i'm upset or hating my job or my life i just think of him dropping to his knees like that and begging god why it's uh it's perfect but we're getting off track. That's a different episode, and you guys can listen to that. It's a fun recording, but we're talking about... A showroom with a view. Yeah. Now the next part, we get to go back to the shoe store. It's one week later. I don't understand it. I was a size six before aerobics class. All that jumping must have expanded my foot. <laughs> and I see you must have fallen on your butt a time or two. How dare you say that to my face? Well, I'd say it behind your back, but my car's only got half a tank of gas. <laughs> and Al, one of his greatest insults to a fat woman ever is, well, I'd say it behind your back, but my car's only got a half a tank of gas. <laughs> that is a hilarious line. <laughs> and real quick, I got—I want to talk about this woman um, who plays uh, Matilda. Her name is Danica Sheridan. And actually, she has a pretty interesting uh, filmography. She only has 23 credits. But, uh, and Mary Wichon was her first star. She actually repeats this. Uh, she's been in two other episodes. I can't believe it's butter, as well as a shoot. Uh, pardon me, crimes against obesity. She gets to return in that one, which is a good one. She uh, also starred in Chinese food and donuts. That was a short. She was the owner of a donut shop, and she also starred in a, in a movie called Fat F A T. She played Brianna. She was also in Fat Girls, P-H-A-T-G-I-R-L-Z. She was a crying fat lady. And she was also in the show Nip Tuck, if you remember that one. She played Lola Wadkowski. And I do remember that episode. I wonder wonder what she was doing in Nip Tuck. Was she possibly getting liposuction? No. I remember oh. this episode vividly, and I, it was very sad uh, because our two uh, characters there were called out to a house where a woman had been sitting on this couch for a week. She was stuck to it. Pardon me, 
folks, but she had defecated on herself, and that was part of the problem. They were called out there to get that stuff, all the material, first to get her out of the house. The fire department had to cut a hole in it, and they had to get her outside and get her to their surgical rooms, and their goal was to get all that material that had welded itself onto her off of her, and they were trying to help her, and they lost her in the... um Mill the operation. And when you watch uh, that, it's just really ooh. sad. And you know that you think someone just lets themselves go that much. And it, anyway, she's been willing to play these parts, which I think is actually a pretty, you know, a very deep commitment to acting, especially when she's always playing the fat women. Uh, I forgot to mention one other one, the great. Buck Howard. That was also related to a lot of obesity. And she was also in an episode of Scrubs. So looks like she's taken these unique opportunity to kind of that fat woman who's willing to go out there and play that fat woman. So that Donica Sheridan, I don't know what she's doing now. Oh, actually, I see it now. She's a script and continuity expert in arts. I guess she does acting from time to time. I just thought that was inter an interesting legacy that she's had. There's also Jennifer Eccles as Cynthia. And Jennifer Eccles, she was born on July 25th, 1954 in Houston, Texas. And she is known for her work on The Lady Killers, The Notebook, My Name is Khan. And she died just a couple of years ago in 2018 or a few years ago in Sherman Oaks, California. She does have 51 credits, including... Uh, uh, including a role on The Mentalist, The Homefront, My Name is Khan. Uh, she had an appearance in My Name is Earl. I love that TV show. That was so funny. Uh, she was in an episode of Dexter, and she was in Adam and Steve. I mean, there are lots of things in her. She, she was in ER twice, had a recurring role there. Malcolm in the Middle. I love that show. That was a fun show. And she also had recurring roles in Married with Children. She was also in Crimes Against Obesity, Spring Break Part 2, and Pump Fiction. Too sad. She was pretty young when she died. That means she was only about 64. Yeah, that's pretty young by today's standards. However, someone else to come in and make things worse. Well, who wouldn't be grumpy? The aerobic studio is the worst thing that could have happened to us. That was my last sweetheart. Cough it up! <laughs> <laughs> No, that's the worst thing that could have happened to us. Hi, Al. No, that's the worst thing that could have happened to us. Jefferson told me that it was your idea to put in a metabolically challenged aerobic studio next door. I am so proud of you. Here it comes. So, to help you out, I have made up these flyers advertising Gary's Aerobic Studio, and I've given them to all of my full-figured banking customers. <laughs> you know, they're going to get really hot and sweaty, and they're going to come in here to buy aerobic shoes. And remember, shoe man, women that large have a really tough time finding underwear. <laughs> Why are you doing this to us? Because I don't like either of you. Oh, look, there's two of my gals now. Hi, Rebecca, Arlene. You look fabulous. Thanks, <laughs> you're 
nerves about the aerobics classes. Yeah, I mean, I really think I'm starting to tone. <laughs> Me too. Corn dog? <laughs> really tells not to eat before class? That was during class. Well, all right then. <laughs> I've got to leave these flyers in Derviner schnitzels and finer girdle shops all over town. I feel like Steve Rose sometimes. When I see Marcy coming, I think, Marcy. And she goes in and she is upset with Al and Griff for starting this studio because... No, she's not. She's very happy. Well, yeah, that's because she has a um, has a plan <laughs> against them. I love it because she's just being a real bitch, and she oh, tells, she is. yeah, and I love she comes up with this PC term, metabolically challenged studio. That made me laugh. That that made me laugh. Uh, that's a good Marcy line. I was just like, oh, she's not going to say fat because that's a. Uh, but what do you call it? A derogatory term. Yeah. So how are you going to say that? Plus size? No, we want more politically correct. I got a better one. I have a, a friend of mine from seminary. He said it's not fat anymore. It's gravitationally disadvantaged. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was probably even better. Al is furious at Marcy about that because she's going to recruit fat women for that aerobics to do. That's all she wants to get in there, and that is just to piss off Al and Griff. And Griff is, uh, looks as if he's about to cry. I thought that was hilarious. Hey, Stephen, I just thought of a good one. What? Instead of metabolically challenged, how about a woman who is becoming CC, a caloric conservationalist? That's a good one. But Marcy knows these women and she's going to recruit them. And I find this so hypocritical because her character, she ogles after Jefferson a lot. She ogles other hot men. We've seen her do it. Remember in uh, Girls Want to Have Fun? She starts ogling all those men and shoving uh, money down their pants and loses her ring. And she gets excited when she sees those sailors on ship happens. You know, the ones that are dressed in and really buff and oh. everything. I mean, she uh, is Stephen just Cook. as sexist as Alice, just from the other end of the spectrum. The thing is, we meet two of Marcy's friends that she has recruited. And we have got so many people in here. I'm just going to say, Jamie Music plays Rebecca. That's one of the people she talks to. And Sonia Eddy plays Arlene. And if you want to look up their um, IMDB things, that's fine. It's just that we have got so many guest stars. I'm trying to limit it down. We'll call Arlene corn dog girl yeah she has the corn dog that's right she says she has to leave these flyers at their wiener schnitzels and find girl shops all over town <laughs> now that's a great reference that you can tell us about oh okay but before i do i just want to point out one thing arlene does have a line that made me laugh and it made me want to you know get some corn dogs because i could you i could go for a corn dog right now but she like pulls out these corn dogs like what a corn dog and Rebecca's like i don't uh, didn't didn't the instructor tell us not to eat before class? No, she said during class. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. I love that. And I haven't had dinner yet, so I'm hungry. So that I, I feel for her too. Like you know what? I could go for a corn dog. I would take her up on it. But <laughs> Wiener Schnitzel. 
as a real thing. Yeah. It's an American fast food chain founded in 1961 as Dervine that specializes in hot dogs, also known as the world's largest hot dog chain. Wiener Schnitzel locations are found predominantly in California and Texas, though others are located in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Louisiana, New Mexico, Nevada, Utah, and Washington, and Oklahoma. Oh, wait, no, no, sorry, Stephen, no Wiener Schnitzel for you. Outside the 50 states, there is a store located in Guam and one in Panama. Reference before on Mary with Children. And I have had them because Texas, you know, is close by. And I've been to Colorado many times as a kid. And I remember when my brother and I would see those, we, you know, as kids, when my parents were taking vacations, we'd want to eat there. <laughs> I'm just laughing at you. The way you said that, like, well, Tyler, I have had them. I mean, Texas is nearby. I need to drive to <laughs> I need to drive to another state to get me. I gotta have my Verde, my Wiener Schnitzel fix. <laughs> yeah, let's see here. The closest one for you is, I guess, Illinois. Yeah, I'll take a monster bus there. Fine, we'll do it. Then, then we get uh, okay. Not at the Stairmaster, Bertha. Anything but the Stairmaster. Stairmaster is an American company founded in 1983, specializing in the design and production of fitness equipment for commercial and light commercial and home use. They sell cardiovascular and strength equipment such as stair climbing machines, tread climber cardio machines, and dumbbell sets. Yeah, and I've seen those. I've seen people use them. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I don't like going to the gym. I would rather get outside. You know, you know me, I talk about a lot. I, I like to ride my bike, and that half of it is just getting outside and riding around and contemplating. You know, you know where you can do. You know where you can do that, Stephen. You can do that on your uh, stationary bike in your nice air conditioned home with nobody or looking at you and no homeless people trying to piss on you. Oh, you can cut that part out, but but yeah, you you can do the same basic things inside your nice safe home. I'm that person. Well, you want to know something? I do have a trainer, which is something that makes my bike a stationary bike. I can put it in front mm. of the TV and I can ride it. And really? when it's too cold, I'll try that. I'll do that. But here's the thing. It's the most boring thing in the world. It really is. Because I'm not outside. Uh, one thing I can't coast, there's no downhill concept of downhill. And... All I could do was watch TV. I'd rather watch the sunset or the sunrise or see people outside. Okay, it's just... I, I see that. Have you ever used one of those? Um, oh, well, I think it was uh, Sandra Bullock was on one of them in one of her movies. It's like this bike that has a screen in front of it where it's like you're uh, riding a bike through uh, through a forest and then the stationary bike like lifts and goes up and down so like when the screen it's like augmented reality i've seen those but i don't know how much that costs number one i don't know how they can replicate wind some of the best thing is when you have a nice wind blowing in your face i mean not too much if it's too much it's kind of hard to push against but having a nice breeze in your face is You're just right. awesome it, you can't be an outdoor on a bicycle and fortunately oklahoma Usually has mild winters, so I don't have to, so I can still get out on it quite a bit, even during the winter months. But uh, 
There are some times when I'm on that damn trainer and God, I hate it. Moving on from Stairmaster or Stairmeister, whatever you want to call it. Oh, I was going to say, moving on from Stairmaster, let's meet young Mr. Lincoln. (laughs) I'm not the Stairmaster, Bertha. Anything but the Stairmaster. Well, guess what I'm doing for money now? Playing the very young Mr. Lincoln? (laughs) No. Well, then at least I could look forward to being shot in the head. Now, what you're looking at is an apprentice chimney sweep. Well, actually, I'm a regular one, but they just call me an apprentice so they don't have to pay my health benefits. (laughs) Dad, this is the worst job I've ever had. Can you please help me? Well, like my father used to say when I came to him with my problems. Get out. (laughs) Well, no, actually, it was I'm leaving you and your mom for this hooker, but now that you mention it... Yeah, I love Buzz's response. No, but at least then I can look forward to being shot in the head because when oh. yeah, when Bud comes in, he's dressed as a chimney sweep. And real quick, Young Mr. Lincoln is a 1939 American biographical drama film about the early life of President Lincoln. It was directed by John Ford and starred Henry Fonda. And of course, we should know Lincoln was shot in the head by John Wilkes Booth and died the next morning. This is He's a chimney sweep and... In our notes, it talks about Dick Van Patten from Mary Poppins. And I want to bring this up because this is something I really get into studying and learning about. And that is in Victorian England during the Industrial Revolution. Chimney sweeping was a very big thing because, you know, that's how they, a lot of people kept their places warm. Chimneys were still pretty new. There was a certain way to, um, certain way to clean them. A lot of young boys would be chimney sweeps, many orphan boys. And because, you know, they're small, they can get inside those tight places. And sometimes they'd have to crawl up the flue or the shaft and take a cleaner with them to clean it out, or it could start a fire in there. Sometimes those kids would get stuck in there, and they'd have to send someone else in there with a rope and yank them out. It was a very dirty, disgusting job. And, of course, you're inhaling all that soot created asthma it was really oppressive and then on top of that a lot of the chimney sweeps who were in charge of these boys were abusive towards them it was not a good life dick van dyke and mary poppins sings a sweep is as lucky as lucky can be that was not the case that was not the case it was a very hard life yeah like it is weird that we have that i think mary poppins had a lot to do with that Mm -hmm. you know what i mean this whole like the happy chimney sweep we're just uh you know proud working class that we are and that's something that kind of went into an american kind of mindset you know like the nothing not the noble savage but like the the noble blue-collared worker you know, who's just happy with his job and everything. No, sometimes that job really sucked. Yeah, well, you know, that particular job would be very hard. But I'm sure there are people who love, who are blue collar. I'm sure there are lots of people who work in blue collar who uh, love their jobs. I'm just talking about specifically chimney sweeps during the Victorian era. Their life was just so hard. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. They died young. 
got contracted rickets a lot and oh well there's it just reminds me of the poem the chimney sweep and read mm -hmm. that poem called the chimney sweep i forgot who wrote it but it's a very yes, powerful sir. one it's not too long but you know you're going to notice the light that's mentioned this just popped into my head when i saw it um Again, I want to throw out a beautiful like nod to the special effects guys because appar apparently somebody, when Bud was about to enter dressed in his chimney sweep suit, gave him some like powder in his hand and is like, do it. You know what to do. And when he walks up to Al, it just goes, my chimney sweep. He just blows through his face clenched fist and out comes dust it's like a six-year-old's kind of like magic show kind of thing i don't know why but like with with this with the earthquake see, uh scene we got earlier bud blowing that uh dust out peggy's animate like uh, model of a thing and then Kelly's we'll get to her later but there's just so many cute special effects that are on this episode it made me really happy there's no laziness to this episode at all you know going back to you know how uh, David Faustino is a pretty short guy he's shorter than me he's like 5'4", five, 5'3", five, you know that kind of fits mm -hmm. with the chimney sweep you know being a smaller guy who could get into the chimneys and things like that I love it when Buzz says dad can you please help me and Al says, well, it's like my father used to say when I came to him with my problems, but suggests get out. <laughs> and Al says, no, actually it was, I'm leaving you and your mom for this hooker. <laughs> oh, oh, harsh. <laughs> but as you say, bye. I've got to bring this up too. Now you brought it up early. I want to bring it up again. Oprah's head. <laughs> Al, guess what's under the sheets? Peg, if I don't like that game in bed, why would I like it here under the lights? No, Speedy. It's a scale model of Oprah Land. See? The tongue is a moving sidewalk which carries people into her mouth. Like so many unsuspecting McNuggets. Now, once inside her climate-controlled head, a moving Barca lounger whisks you past animatronic Oprahs in all her different weights. I call it, it's a big world after all. After a light lunch of waffles and gravy, you disembark, tell a studio audience your innermost secrets, and snarf down a whole fried chicken. Amazing. All this detail, yet when I ask you for a sandwich, you can't figure out bread, meat, bread. Big talk from someone who's yet to get lift, pee, flush. You leave that head here, I'll show you lift pee flush. <laughs> he gets her hands on. <laughs> she call and she says, I call it, it's a big world after all. <laughs>
<laughs> and there are all these little things in there. She said, the scale model, there's the tongue. It's a moving sidewalk, which carries people into her mouth. Like there's so many unsuspecting McNuggets. Now come inside her climate controlled head, a moving Barco lounger whisk you past and animatronic Oprah's and all of her different weights. Oh man. Her climate controlled <laughs> head yeah. had me let that got a big out loud belly laugh from me. <laughs> I thought that was, you know, just comic gold right there. I thought that was hilarious. Real quick, a Barco lounger is a type of a recliner. We don't see these much anymore. And they were made in the U.S. And the name of the company which manufactured it. The Barco lounger chair was introduced by the Barcolo Manufacturing Company of Buffalo, New York, which eventually became the Barco Lounger Company. And they are currently produced in Morrison, Morristown, Tennessee. And I love it because Peg calls it, it's a big world after all. You know, two little puns there, one on Oprah being big and the other on the Disney ride. Have you ever been on the... It's a small world after all. It's <laughs> yeah. a small world after all. Yes. Yeah. That's... I've heard it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, they were both in the Disney parks at the uh, Disneyland in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think that's in Los Angeles. And Disney World, which is in Florida. I have been to that one. And I remember going on that. And the ride features over 300 audio animatronic dolls in traditional costumes from cultures around the world. And it's frolicking in the spirit of international unity, singing the attraction song title, which has a theme of global peace. It's very multicultural. And this was made back in the, I, I don't know, I can't remember when Disney built that stuff. Maybe it was in the 60s? Uh, 1968, I believe. Um, I believe All in the Family was very, very uh, excited because Archie and Edith were going to go there. We're going to go to Disney World. It opened up like uh, apparently like a couple years before that episode, which was in 68, or I think it was in 69 or something. And he's just like, they tossed $27 million to make. You know what that comes to in dollars and cents? What? Like, <laughs> oh, no, that's what Archie says. Like, it cost $27 million to make. You know what that comes to in dollars and cents? Yeah, $27 million. I just barked at the idea of $27 million seeming like a lot of money. That's what you get for a B-rated horror movie now. Like, <laughs> When was Disneyland put up? You said that was Disney World in 68. Oh, Disneyland. Uh, you know what? Let me do a quick Google search because I want to say the 70s. No, I thought that that was before Disney World. Disney World was second. Oh, really? I thought yeah. Disney World was first. Oh, interesting. Disneyland. Oh, wow. Steven, you are right on the money. Uh, July 17th, 1955. Wow. Yeah, so It's a Small World was also there. So, man, man the late 50s, that's really, you know, unheard and, of because, you know, people talk about it now, but Disney was promoting that back in the late 50s. You know, kids from around the world and their different cultures. And here's something else I've got to mention about it. Two more things about It's a Small World. First of all, it was written by the Sherman brothers, all right? Yes. Richard and Robert Sherman, and they wrote a lot of Disney songs for them. In fact, they wrote uh, Mary Poppins, and I mentioned about, you know, the Chim Chimney song that uh, Dick Van Dyke sings about being a chimney sweep. That won them a, an Oscar as best song. But the thing is... You should. 
one time Richard Sherman, he made a comment about, it's a small world after all, when he wrote that, one woman came up to him and she hated him for it. And Richard says, I can understand. Because oh. <laughs> when you listen to it over and over and over, you know, it is does get annoying. And here's the more interesting fact. Okay, now here it was. In March 27th of 2013, a judge awarded a man who got stuck on Disney's It's a Small World ride. They awarded him $8,000 for pain and suffering. He was at Disneyland, and he had to sit in the goodbye room of It's a Small World for 30 minutes, and park officials had to repair it. But they never turned off the soundtrack, so he had to listen to that song over and over and over and over. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And I think, yeah, if I was stuck there for 30 minutes having to listen to that over and over and over, I'd sue him, too. <laughs> Turn off the damn soundtrack. Oh, God. That would be insane. Oh. Yeah. It's kind of like my comparison. I'd rather be tied to a chair and listen to the starships we built this city played on an endless loop for 24 hours. <laughs> oh, I couldn't I couldn't handle that for 24 minutes. I would shoot myself. <laughs> I couldn't stand it for four minutes or however built long. this that... city? Yeah. <laughs> it really is a crappy song. <laughs> I can't believe I used to like that. Anyway. Oh, by the way, uh -huh. Stephen, admission prices to Disney World in Florida in 1971 and i haven't been i was brought when i was a baby so i don't count uh -huh. i don't remember it you paid for a ticket steven admission prices in 1971 were three dollars and fifty cents for adults well the first time i went i think it was 75 or so so i would have been eight and then i went again in 79 my parents again took us there and I would have been 12. So I don't know how much it costs. Oh, <laughs> I just, I would be, oh man, I bet your dad is probably like, I know how much it cost. Like, <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. All right, cool. Well, cool little Disney thing. I did not know. I thought Disney World was around. I thought it was around way earlier than 71. That was cool to know. Then Kelly steps in ready for my bus ride to aerobics class <laughs> this here is my pinch proof padding oh pumpkin honey i've got to ask you something a high voltage anti-fondling device Turn it on. what Well, serves me right for touching a family member. <laughs> I just read in our notes, like, and anyway, and I looked down at the next line, Al gets electrocuted. <laughs> yeah, because she's wearing this idiotic costume. I mean, where did they it's get awesome. this? I mean, and it's to keep the men from roping her or something like that. I think, it, I think it's going to work real well. <laughs> It looks like a fat Ghostbusters uh -huh. costume. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's awesome. uh -huh. Yeah, and we get this fit like 
you know what from the early 90s not too bad cgi lightning as al comes up and is like kelly i'm gonna put my hand on you for one second nothing bad's gonna happen (laughs) you know and here's the thing uh i thought that special effect was actually pretty good turn it off yeah turn it turn it off Uh (laughs) that is correct Uh uh-huh it got me laughing now in 2021. It got me laughing really hard. I was just like, turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And, and, and she says, I can't hear you, Daddy. I have to turn it off. That's just what he wanted. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, great. Al's trying to figure out why Kelly is so into her aerobic studio. And, Stephen, I can give you two words. Answer. Ramon. Pumpkin, why do so many beautiful women travel so far to go to your aerobic studio? Two words. <laughs> Ramon. He is a prince. He's actually more than a prince. He's an aerobics teacher formerly known as Prince. Come on, come with me. I'm going to drive over there. I want to see if Ramon will change affiliations. I think he's kind of happy with women, Daddy. <laughs> Oh, that makes one of us. God, look at all this Mondo talent and all these micro bikinis. All I ask is for just one seam to burst. Hey, Ramon. Hey, Kelly. Who's your daddy? Oh, oh, this isn't my daddy. This is my father. (laughs) Daddy, meet Ramon. (laughs) Kelly, why don't you warm up the class? Do you want me to stretch him or have him run in place? No, just show them one of those big posters of me and Speedos. Okay. (laughs) Kelly and Al go to Ramon's, and they finally meet Ramon. Who's your daddy? Oh, this isn't my daddy. This is my father. <laughs> oh, God. That was insane. Oh. oh, boy. And now we find out why. This is a guy that I think would attract a lot of young girls. I mean, young guys nowadays. Like, he's a good looking dude. Like, I mean, <laughs> I thought this was going to be a gross, weird looking macho man that they've had in like past seasons. This guy's actually pretty good looking. Yeah, he's played by Marco Sanchez, who has a pretty impressive uh, resume. He's been in No Good Nick, Criminal Minds, Get Shorty, NCIS, recurring role there, recurring roles as well as. Uh, the Client List, The Secret Life of the American Teenager. He's been in the movie Super 8. I don't remember which one he was, he was, but I'm, that was a pretty good movie. He was in The Mentalist as well. Tyrannosaurus, I'm going to skip that one. CSI Miami. He's been in Ghost Whisper, Cup recurring role there, Desperate Housewives. He's been inconceivable. That's inconceivable. <laughs> Short-lived TV series, The Division, Sons of Thunder, Walker, Texas Ranger, Pacific Blue. He's been in Sequest, a Gunsmoke, uh, pardon me, not Gunsmoke, that was a Gunsmoke uh, TV movie, Knott's Landing. So, yeah, he is a long, impressive list. He's done a lot of work. 
He is a graduate of UCLA theater, film, and television, and he was born in Los Angeles wow. to Cuban immigrants and raised in Palm Desert, hmm. California. And he was born January 9th, 1970. Wow. You know, I got to give these like TV uh, stars credit. We've been seeing a lot of them, and I'm going to quote Chris Cabin from the We Hate Movies podcast. There's something you can say by the Hollywood like stars who have like three Ferraris, but there's something to be said by these TV stars who probably have like 500 Toyota Corollas, because this stuff makes you money. Like, like for what? Like guns? Like what was it? Uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, and Secret Life of American Teenager, and Desperate Housewives. Yeah. Like, these aren't small shows. Like, you get big money to be on this stuff. Like, good for him. Yeah, made a good career out of being a reliable TV actor. Now, here is something I want to bring up in regards. I want to bring up swimsuits again. Because he tells Kelly to warm up the girls, just have them look at that picture of me in a Speedo. And I got to tell you something. First of all, Speedo swimsuits get a bad reputation. They do make the sleek competitive competition swimsuits for men. But they also make trunk-sized swimsuits as well. Now, real quick on the competition suits, when I was younger, yes, I had to wear them. I was on the swim team in the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. <laughs> and those were not fun to wear. Most of the guys I know did not like wearing them. They were too revealing. And anyway, I'll just get that out of the way. Most of us were getting into our sweatpants as soon as we were done swimming our competition. They have evolved into bodysuits, square and sleek and a few other forms, but these designs were made for competitive swimming. And they um, and they do increase your speed. It's incredible. Uh, I'll tell you another little secret about <laughs> swimmers. Men, men and women both will shave all their body hair off. I kid you not. Because, and believe it or not, it makes a big difference. But here's the really interesting thing. You know, he tells Kelly, take the woman to have me look, look at me in my Speedo. I did a little research on this. And I found out, according to most websites on women's takes on men, most women don't prefer to see a man in a Speedo, even if they're really hot. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> they find it too revealing. I mean, there are some women who do, but most don't. And it was, like, high in this depending on which website it was it was like 70 to 80 percent of women do not want to see a guy in a speedo even if they're good looking and hot of course, of course. one of the most of pathetic things not. is to see a fat guy in a speedo like the, i don't know i agree you know what i'm amazed you found that because i saw the same like research i thought that too like i researched it and i'm like you're right Women don't want to see that, and it makes perfect sense because even if you've got a perfect physique, abs and bleep gutters. Uh, by the way, Stephen, you can just cut this part out. The cum gutters. I think that's a disgusting, but a great like term to show what I'm talking about. The going down like past the navel. Even if you've got that perfect body, women don't want to see that. Because you're taking shit away from them, and it makes it it makes it uncomfortable too. We we show our bodies. Just stop it! Just stop it! Scanty bikinis are for us, not you. And the thing is, men men are turned on by sight. I mean, that's what attracts us. And I'm not saying women don't like to look. I know they like to look. They just don't get aroused. Usually, they don't get aroused by just looking. That's the big difference. 
And men, for some reason, have this dumb assumption that women are going to respond in the same way as uh, we see them in a bikini when they see us in some sort of speedo or something like that. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It's more for probably gay men than anything else. Because, like, when you if you think... It's men thinking, like, well, we like seeing women in scantily clad bikinis. Obviously, women will like to see us in this because that's what we like, and what we like is the norm. So, come on, ladies, get with it. And, yeah, like, what, what was that old thing? I think Law & Order said it a lot, and it's real. Like, men watch porn, women fantasize. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. So, you're right. Well, Banana hammocks? need to go that's right you know and it's the same thing too a, a lot of women uh most of the people who are reading that 50 shades of gray stuff were women wasn't men in fact i think that was written by a woman wasn't it Mm-hmm. a woman who according to i'm gonna quote another uh i'm gonna plug another podcast that i think our listeners might like the bottom bible podcast if you guys search bottom bible podcast Fifty Shades of Grey, it's awesome because it's two very like educated women talking about why Fifty Shades of Grey sucks as a book because like it's like just how much the main girl is not a real girl. It's like a fantasy of a girl, and it caught me off guard. Stuff I never thought about. I would really recommend you guys listen to it. If you ever have like watched fifty or watched Fifty Shades of Grey or read it, it's really insane. There was an earlier episode in season two. It was called Earth Angel when Bud brings home this homeless girl, and she's actually a pretty young thing, about probably in her twenties. Really erotic, and Al invites some friends over to watch her do aerobics outside in the backyard. Steve comes in late and wants to know what's going on, and he's really upset with Al for charging all this money. And Steve gives his points on what the true most erogenous zone is. Look at her, Steve. She's in the kitchen, isn't that cute? <laughs> okay, so she's beautiful and gorgeous and all that. But Al, so is Marcy, and what's more, Marcy has inner beauty. And when all is said and done, the one true erogenous zone in the body is right up here. Mm, yeah, uh-huh. but the, the only thing is, though, Steve, I don't see too many men going around pinching women's heads. <laughs> well, perhaps we should. And it really is, even for guys. All we got to do is think about something. Women, they think about something. And I think that's why when women were reading Fifty Shades of Grey, they, they're more literary oriented, whereas men are more visually yes. oriented. And... That's mm -hmm. the biggest problem. It's two different types of porn. One's visual. One is more imaginative. And women tend to be more imaginative than men anyway. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's like it's getting into this stuff. So, I, and you know what? I'm glad you brought all this stuff up, Stephen, because I was thinking the same thing. Like, man, bikini, 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 bikini. Like, why aren't they talking about, like, banana hammocks and stuff? And you're right. Because it shouldn't be. Because this is a different type of titillation, and it's just from the male, from the female point of view to the male point of view, not vice versa. Yeah, that is the truth. <laughs> Ramon 
then starts to talk with Al. Your daughter is making remarkable progress. Tell her mother, I'm here for something important. I uh, just can't remember what it is. Fat-free muffin? You certainly are. Here you go. Thank you. That was delicious. <laughs> Ramon. If it wouldn't be too much trouble, could, could we talk in private? <laughs> There's this state-of-the-art aerobic studio, and we'd be very, very happy if you would teach there. Actually, I'm very comfortable here. What do you have that could possibly lure me away? I'm offering a free membership to No Man, Chicago's most exclusive men's club. With the membership comes, hold on to your green card, <laughs> luxury boxes at WrestleMania, free use of a classic Dodge, when it's working, <laughs> and a key to the Biggins reading room in my garage when we get the bowl unclogged. Well, Mr. Bundy, as tempting as your offer sounds. <laughs> your daughter is uh, making I, uh... remarkable progress, tell her mother. Al says, I'm here for something too important. I just can't remember what it is. Ramon, Al talks to Ramon, wants to talk to him in private. There's a state-of-the-art, and he tells Ramon, there's a state-of-the-art exercise aerobics studio that we'd be very, very happy if you would teach there because the goal now is to get Ramon to get all these beautiful women here. Ramon says, I'm comfortable here. He wants to know what's in it for him. And Al offers him only one thing that he can offer, a free membership to No Man. <laughs> yes! Oh, yes. boy. <laughs> what has he got that I don't have? We're both virile men in the prime of our lives. Except he's not saddled with a lazy wife, worthless kids, a prostate like a melon, and worst of all, I sell women's shoes. <laughs> shoes? You sell shoes? Yeah. Right next to an aerobic studio. Did you hear that, Ramon? He sells shoes. There's not a shoe store within miles of here. Yeah, you never buy us shoes. <laughs> Do I not leave the curtain open when I change? That's not shoes. We want shoes. We want to work out next to the shoe guy. <laughs> Formerly known as Al. Oh, and by the way, I, I was just joshing about that, that melon thing. We're getting shoes! We're getting shoes! Okay, okay, Bundy, you, you got me. Finally, Ramon caves in. He says, okay, Bundy, you got me. You shoe salesman, you are so lucky. You get all the women. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you see all the women Al gets in this store, Ramon would be backtracking that quick, big time. Okay, Stephen. Yeah. I gotta ask. I gotta mention though, when Al does not just offer a free membership to No Man, he explains exactly what that special uh, offer entails. So, first off, No Ma'am, you have to remember, guys, is Chicago's most exclusive men's club. With the membership comes, hold on to your green card. <laughs> luxury boxes at Wrestlemania free use of a classic Dodge when it's working and a key <clears throat> and a key to the Biggins reading room in my in Al's garage 
when we get the ball unclogged. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And I, then actually, Ramon says, um, "Don't uh, Bundy as sending as your offer sounds. Yeah, you said a mouthful. Well, I'll be going." And Ramon says, "Don't bother to use the elevator. I'll just jump out the window." And Ramon says, "Don't land on the Porsche." I mean, think about it. you're going to offer him a Dodge, and this guy has a Porsche. What's this guy that I go? Yeah, uh-huh. like. <laughs> and then Al does his little monologue here. You shoe salesman, you're so lucky you get all the women. <laughs> Luck has nothing to do with it, Ramon. You see, since the dawn of time, women and shoes have gone together like alcohol and firearms. <laughs> oh, sure, we men of the foot might have a slight PR problem. Once you've tried shoe, you never go back. <laughs> Who loves you, baby? <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Except he's, pardon me. Except he's not saddled with a lazy wife, worthless kids, a prostate like a melon, and worst of all, I sell women's shoes. And all those girls like shoes. You sh- sell shoes? Yeah, right next to an aerobic studio. Did you hear that, Ramon? He sells shoes. Now the girls want the shoes. They're getting shoes. So, but Stephen, but don't, but doesn't Ramon let them watch as he undresses? So what? <laughs> <laughs> it's not shoes. Yeah, it's you know, the same thing. Like I said, having the girls watch me in front of the speedo, they probably don't want to see that. Very likely they don't. So now he says, "Bundy, you got me. You shoe salesmen are lucky." You get all the women. <laughs> <laughs> you shoe salesmen are so lucky. That's the fourth belly laugh I had out loud for nobody. He falls out the window. <laughs> Fifth funniest belly laugh ever. <laughs> when he turns, and I I should have seen it coming. Of course he's going to fall out of that window. But when he just... <laughs> When he turns and walks like Wiley e. Coyote out the window, Looney Tunes alert, Looney Tunes alert. This was a Looney Tunes gag, but it worked really well. <laughs> then we get to go back to the shoe store and find out about the plan. Gentlemen, would you prefer a front or rear view? <laughs> uh, what do you recommend? Well, the rear view is fresh tonight. <laughs> but the locals swear by the front, so. Oh. Two fronts, please. <laughs> front it is. Hey, great work, Griff. Thank you. The place looks swank. Yeah, but we're not finished. Next week, we put in Zoom, peepholes, and chin rests. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> Could someone roll me to a hole? <laughs> oh, sure, buddy. <laughs> oh, this is much better. <laughs> and Jefferson is now ready to show them the new aerobic studio. And boy, do they get an eyeful. All these. Well, 
I mean, are they getting fronts or rears, Stephen? Oh, probably rears, but who knows? Then uh, Jefferson has to remind Al, hey, the girls are in there. And that's when we see Al pretty much in a body cast in a wheelchair. (laughs) He can't be near the holes or his wheelchair just rolls away from the holes. He can't enjoy it now. Uh, no, I mean, no. Jefferson's nice. He's turned away, Stephen, and Jefferson's really nice. He turns his eye. Oh, don't worry, Al. I got you. And pulls him towards Al's hole, which is only four feet higher than his wheel. And so he can't enjoy it at all. And thus ends the episode. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. All right, Tyler, how many Oprah heads are you going to rank this episode of Sheer Room with a View? <laughs> I tried. I bite. I bit my cheek to not laugh when you said it. We tried to rehearse this, guys. It didn't work. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to give this episode four and a half Oprah heads. Now, I was originally going to give it four. Because I do think there's a huge problem in this episode. A big one. I don't want to let them off the hook. But they got five belly laughs out of me. Uh, You know what? Almost ten. Because I watched this episode recently. And they got me. And then they got me again while me and Steven were just talking about it. This is a really, really funny episode. So I'm going to give it four and a half. The reason why they're not getting that final half for a fifth is because of the underutilizing of the main cast members. I liked how they inserted Jefferson and Marcy. They were put perfectly. Jefferson's a member of No Ma'am. Of course he would be like, and he's kind of like Al's brother in a weird way. Like, of course he's going to be dressed up in a tux and whatnot. Marcy showing up to F with Al and everything. Of course, you know, that that makes sense. But Bud and Kelly and Peggy were kind of left in the wings. And Peggy's, eh, it was kind of, like, just lame. I, I mean, like, yeah, Peggy watching Oprah. She got the bag of bonbons right next to her. It's like season one, season two stuff. Kelly and Bud... They had me laughing. The fact that Bud like blew that dust out and that Kelly put on that suit, it just there was it looked like there was a lot of stuff left on the cutting room floor. And I'll usually give them a pass if it looks like, you know, the actor or actress didn't want to be a part of it, but I didn't see much of that. And they gave me such funny material that I wanted to see more and I didn't. I don't want them to take away from Al. I loved all of Al's stuff. Don't drop a minute. But then don't give me such funny Kelly and Bud stuff that I want to see more of. And if you're going to give Peggy so much time with her weird Oprah head, then 
give me a little bit more Kelly or, you know, I don't know, maybe Kelly joins the aerobic studio. I don't know. And everyone's and all the guys are ogling Peggy and then Al goes crazy and then the, the wall falls over. This is simple stuff, guys. I don't know. Maybe Bud gets a job repairing or building the aerobic studio and he's like checking everybody out and then he wants to join No Man. There are ways to do this. So I'm giving it a half, but this is a really funny, funny episode. This is a good episode to show anybody who hasn't seen Married with Children before because it has a lot of the humor. So big props. Steven. I'm going to give it four Oprah heads. I really liked it, too. I do agree with you. They didn't utilize Bud, Kelly, or even Peg that much. And I think this is a thing that kind of hinders Married with Children at this point. And that is we have a lot of extra characters and they keep trying to reuse them so much. It takes away from the dynamic. I remember Annabelle talking about uh, uh, the episode in which uh, No Man uh, first appeared. You know, it is an iconic episode. And she said she thought she didn't care. She said overall she didn't care for it because it took away from the family dynamic. And I agree with that. Uh, that was that was the big drawback of having all of these extra guest star, all these uh, guest stars of Ike and Bob Rooney and uh, Officer Dan wasn't in around this time. But then they had all those extra other actresses, the big ones. By the way, this is one of those that that you commented on. Uh, I think on last season that you said that uh, all the all these uh, actresses are going to come to tryouts for a Married with Children episode. And the producers are going to say, okay, all you fat women on the left, all you hot women on the right. I mean, that's what this one was. Going back to my uh, critique of it, and I had one more little critique about this, and that was the payoff ending. I'm not saying I hated it. I just thought it could have been a little bit better. Yes, 100%. Why bring in Ramon? He did nothing. Zero. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Al in the wheelchair, not able to see the hot women. Oh, I mean, that that, that leads towards it. But, like, everything from when Ramon was introduced, because there was really no payoff for Ramon. I, I just, uh, they made a big deal about him. I mean, Kelly propped him up, and they really, he kind of folded so quickly. Uh, when I saw there was only like four minutes when re- you don't introduce a character with only four minutes <laughs> in your show. And you're right. Yeah, like Al, I loved it. He was in a, you know, a body cast and everything. But it, you're right. It was kind of calling back way too earlier seasons, and it didn't follow with what this was going to be. I don't know. Like, have him working out with a bunch of fat women then, you know? (laughs) Like, have all these women vanish for some weird reason. Well, I'm not going to second... I don't want to second guess the plot. I'm just saying I thought the ending was, you know, about not being able to see the hot women really did not pay off well. That was my only real gripe. I didn't didn't hate introducing Ramon. I really didn't. I kind of liked it. It's just that the thing is, the payoff joke... You know, it's kind of like in Ship Happens Part 2. I know you didn't like it, but I love that payoff at the ending because Al says no more contests, and he opens, and then the doorbell rings, and then there's Gilbert Gottfried, who's back, who was annoying Al at the beginning. I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and you just won. I thought that was a great payoff joke at the end. Or 
I saw one earlier this afternoon in which uh, Al won a whole bunch of money at the track with Steve. And I love this one because uh, Al wants to buy a stereo, but then he doesn't want Peg to know about it. You know, the kids think they ha- he has extra money. Steve decides he wants the radio, and Al capitulates because he's afraid that Peggy's going to find out and then rake him over the goals. Steve buys it for less than what Al paid for, and he says, I also have $150 that Marcy didn't find. And then all of a sudden, you hear this pounding on the door, Stephen Rhodes, and he takes that $150. Steve has this look on his eyes, you bastard. But, you know, that's a great payoff joke at the end. And I just didn't think we had a really good one here. We've seen Al in the body cast. I mean, that was a payoff joke in, in I think it was season seven or so. when It was several, yeah. several episodes, yeah, actually. At least, at least two or three more times he's in a body cast. Well, that's it for a shoe room with a view. Turn in next week when... Luigi and Chris are going to be reviewing Requiem for a Dead Briart. <laughs> and this is, of course, the death of Buck. That's oh. going to be a sad one. Because we know I Buck know. the dog retired and he was replaced with Lucky. A, moment's, a moment of silence for the loss of Buck. Mm-hmm. And another moment of silence for that damn dog that replaced him. <laughs> And a third moment of silence. Or a third ten minutes of silence for seven. Yeah, stop it. Stop it. Seven was not that bad. We've talked about this. (laughs) He that kid did what he was asked to do and he did. Okay. (laughs) Until next week. (laughs) 